The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It is, what's today, April 7th, Thursday. It is a rainy, crappy day here in New York. Um, Still cold, even though it's technically spring. Depressing. Definitely the same here. Rainy, cold, but I guess it's autumn or fall here, so it's to be expected. But just the amount of rain we've had is unbelievable. My husband was floating stuff down the driveway yesterday because there's so much water. It was like a river. <laughs> oh, I know, but it's stopped for now. So hopefully that's it for a little while. Yeah. I never even get good like storms because they always break up right before they get to us. I live right near the Hudson River and then there's also some mountains. So I don't know if that just always breaks up the storm. But whenever I see it coming on the radar, I'm like, oh, we're going to get a big storm. And always it like splits up. Right when it gets to us. <laughs> Makes me so annoyed. Definitely been a year of crazy weather. Yeah. And I'm pretty excited here because today is the last day of school for my kids. They're off after this for two weeks. It's, you know, I like them going to school, but I also like a time just to have a bit of a break. No activities. All the activities stop for a few weeks. So it'll be nice just to chill out and just calm down a bit because it's been a crazy, crazy few months. Does your school year work there? I feel like yours is like different than ours. I know it's different months. Yeah, but you get more ours like bigger calen- breaks. Ours is calendar year, so we have our summer break from basically mid December, and the kids usually go back like the first week in February or at the very end of January. Like, so the summer break is usually six or seven ish weeks, and then so then it has four terms. So we've just finished term one. They have two weeks. They'll do another 10 or 11 weeks, have another two weeks, um, and then again. So basically three kind of two-week breaks in the middle of the year and then it'll be summer again and they'll have their big break. But, yeah, the school year runs calendar year for us here. So basically January to December and then start a new grade the next year. Ours, like, makes no sense, but I guess it does (laughs) because when summer is, but we're, like, September to June. Yeah, it's inter- yeah, it is interesting to me. I, I, I get why, why you do it, and I'm sure we would do the same if we had the summer break then. But, yeah, it just works out that way for us somehow. Nice, neat calendar year. <laughs> <laughs> My cats are both situated. I've got Peep in the bed on the desk right next to the laptop, so hopefully she stays there and doesn't have too much to say. And then my other one, his name's fresh butt i don't think i've ever introduced him on the podcast because <laughs> he's the quiet one he, yeah he has a silly name um he is trying to shove himself in a tote bag on the floor so <laughs> but they're both here being supportive <laughs> what more can you ask for <laughs> a little cheerleading team too much cheering um today in real time our episode on naomi came out and there is a little update on that that we're going to talk about at the end so if you want to hear more about that listen to the whole episode and and you'll get that (laughs) stay tuned today we're gonna talk about a case that is pretty famous i'd say it's weird because i feel like if i asked someone if they knew about the case a lot of people would say no but it was like a big deal and i'm talking about the turpin family 
You might have seen them in the news. Um, recently, two of the daughters have been doing some interviews and press. But I think it was big news. You didn't really follow it, though. I don't. I probably wasn't big news in Australia. It's always kind of been on my radar, but I was never really. <clears throat> I never knew the details. Like when I started researching this, I couldn't. I just couldn't believe it that something like this could actually happen recently, like in the last few years. But I put a photo up on our Instagram and I asked people, and it was of the two parents, and I asked people if they knew the case. And I would say probably 90% of them did, which I was surprised about. I thought maybe it wouldn't be as well known as it is, but, you know, it seems like a lot of people are across it and everyone just seems to be in disbelief about how horrible it is. I think a lot of people know it or know of it, but with this one, I think because there's so many minors involved, to get a lot of the information, you really have to dig for it because for yeah. a long time there was no information. But now that some of the girls start doing interviews and like the trial and court and stuff, there's more information out there. But it wasn't like as widely reported on in detail because a lot of it was for privacy reasons. Yeah, I found it interesting because I do agree with that, that the, you know, a lot of the actual details aren't even public. Yeah, I think a lot of them are older than minors because a lot of them were pretty old to begin with, but they were trapped their whole lives. So they like seem like they're little kids. Yeah. But- it's, it's interesting because I, before I started this, I never realized like, cause they're always referred to as the Turpin children, but some mm. of them were nearly 30 years old when they were, when this all came to light. So, you know, obviously they are still their parents' children, but they're not actual aged children. children. Yeah. Yeah. But Probably getting ahead of ourselves, so we'll, we'll go we'll backtrack. As usual, as usual. <laughs> start at the beginning. Um, and just as a disclaimer, if it wasn't clear enough from, so far from the episode name and what we've just said, you know that there's a disclaimer on the whole podcast, but this one is about child abuse and some of it's pretty horrific. Not that it's overly graphic, but it's very sad and disturbing. So if you feel like that will upset you or trigger you in some way, then maybe this is an episode you should skip. That being said, let's get into it. This is 911. Do you have an emergency? Um, I just ran away from home. Do you know what street you're on? Um, no. Uh... I just ran away from home because I was in a family of 15, okay? Can you hear me? And we have abusing parents. Did you hear that? Okay, how did they abuse you? Okay, they hit us, they throw us across, they like throw us across the room. They pull our hair, they, they yank out our hair. I have two... My two little sisters right now are chained up. Okay, how old are you? I'm 17. What's your name? Golden Turpin. So the Turpin family, they were living in Paris, California at the time this all came to light. The parents' names there was James, the father, and then there was Louise, and she was the mom. Um, and eventually it would come out that they victimized 13 of their children. And yes, 13 children. It still that's, shocks me. Yeah, that's crazy. I still, it just blows my mind how this was hidden for so long with that many kids. And I'm also just like, how do you afford it? Well, I guess they didn't really care, to be honest. So Yeah, well, yeah, they didn't afford it, essentially, I guess. Yeah. Um, 
So some background into them. David was born David Allen Turpin on October 17th, 1961. He attended Virginia Tech and trained to become a computer engineer. He worked for big corporations such as Lockheed Martin and Northrop Grumman during his career. Louise was born on May 24th, 1968, and her maiden name was Louise Ann Robinette. The two met when they were when they both attended Princeton High School in Princeton, West Virginia. So we're not really sure what year they met since it was such a long time ago and when they were in school. But they ended up getting married in 1985 when Louise was only 16 and David was 23. Just kind of gross. Yeah. They, they must have just crossed paths briefly if their age gap was that much in high school. Like I'm assuming he would have nearly been finished and she would have just started. Yeah. 17, 18, 19, 20, 20. She would have had to be in like middle school and he was in high school. Maybe it was mm. like one big school. Like yeah. mine were split. The Turpins lived their lives as Pentecostal Christians, and they decided that God called on them to have many children, and they had 10 daughters and three sons between 1988 and 2015, so very Duggar-esque of them. Yeah. Um, the family lived in Fort Worth from the time the couple were married until 1999. They then moved to Rio Vista, which is around 45 minutes away. Their home in Rio Vista was was on 36 acres, and it had four bedrooms and two bathrooms. Seems kind of small for th- 15 people, but... I know. In my mind, I was like, wow, how'd they afford mm. that spacious? But then you remember that there's that many people. <laughs> so it's a bit hard to pinpoint when the actual abuse started, because a lot of the dates of the incident are reported as unknown, because they weren't really reported on. So we're going to try to tell the story chronologically kind of as it all came out after the fact so one of the first examples of neglect that's been reported involves one of the turpin daughters she was attending third grade at crowley middle school and it's been said that she was bullied for wearing the same clothes every day and for having bad body odor seems the parents weren't concerned about their personal hygiene at all no, and it seems like, you know, if this all happened when they were still living in Texas, you know, this obviously has been going on for over a decade, so very sad. Mm-hmm. Police were called to the Turpin home in 2001 after a four-year-old girl was attacked by a border collie. This marks one of only two times that police in Texas interacted with the family. The second time police were called to the home was in 2003 after pigs that the family owned got loose and ate 55 pounds of dog food that belonged to a neighbor. Very obscure thing to happen yeah and i've like i've read about those two incidents but there was never any mention of the police investigating anything else you know beyond that there was no you know they never went into the house and saw the conditions or anything like that it was just those two isolated non-child abuse related incidents i believe they also have pigs in 2007 the turpin parents moved 10 of their children into an isolated trailer on their property David and Louise let the youngest two children reside in the main house, but left the rest of the kids to fend for themselves in the trailer. They would bring weekly groceries, but there wasn't ever enough food to go around. Jordan Turpin, she's one of the, just as a side note, Jordan's one of the girls that's kind of spoken out more now that she's older and she's done a few interviews. So you probably hear her and one of the other sisters mentioned more than the other children who have um, remained anonymous for the most part. Yeah, Jordan's very active on social media, so we'll link all her accounts in the blog. But she's, yeah, very much the mouthpiece for the family, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jordan Turpin was six years old in 2007, and she said there was a lot of starving. She said that she would have to resort to eating ketchup, 
mustard or ice as there was literally nothing else for her to eat. The family ended up leaving the Rio Vista home in June 2010 to move to California. Their neighbor, Ricky Vineyard, spoke to the LA Times about what the Turpins were like. He said, when they moved in, they were really mysterious people. They didn't socialize or talk to us. And just a side note to backtrack a little bit, just to for clarification, Ricky Vineyard was their neighbor in Texas, not California. Yeah. If that matters to you, so he, he don't spoke mess with Justin. They were wrong. <laughs> he spoke to the media after they had left um, Texas, though. So you know, this all kind of came out after they'd left. But he was their Texas neighbor, not their California neighbor. Yeah. He also said that before they moved, David could regularly be seen shooting cans with his pistol aiming towards the road leading into their property. When the family left for California, they basically left everything behind. Repo men showed up and took the cars they had left, and the house was foreclosed on. A man named Billy Baldwin purchased the Turpin home in Rio Vista with his mother. When he called the realtor to first inquire about the property, he had to sign a document saying he would not sue if he was injured while inspecting the property because it was in such bad shape. Billy Baldwin owns several rental properties and said he's used to working on houses. He described the condition of this home as bad. The mortgage company had even spent two months cleaning it up to get it halfway presentable before they put it on the market. I feel like bad is an understatement based on... I know, I was like... <laughs> yeah, bad. It's like it's, it's condemnable, basically, yeah. Based on the details coming, it's way worse than bad. Yeah. When they entered the property, they found feces and beds with ropes tied to them, along with dead cats and piles of garbage. The bathroom floor was so filthy that it had, it had actually rotted through. Ricky said it was waist-deep in filth. There were dead dogs and cats in there, and the smell was rancid. They found two chihuahuas that had survived by eating waste from a mound of soiled diapers. The family's Ford F-150 truck was heaped with dirty diapers in empty Vienna sausage cans. Ricky said it seemed like that's all they ate. It's interesting that apparently the mortgage company spent two months cleaning it but left the dead animals and live chihuahuas in there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's very strange. Unless maybe as <laughs> a condition the of outside. the sale. Yeah, maybe as a, you know, I don't know, but even maybe as a condition of the sale, they had to clean it up before he would buy it. I don't know, something like that. Maybe I don't know if that's how it works there. It made it sound like they tried to make it presentable, but then he went in and there's dead animals and mm. live animals. Like, <laughs> it's crazy. Someone should take those out. <laughs> so as he moved from room to room through the house, he noticed something odd. He said everything had locks on it: the closet had locks, the toy chest, the refrigerator. He said there were no beds, just mattresses. There wasn't a place in that house that wasn't filthy. Billy said that took him three months and $35,000 to fix the house to make it rentable. Just as an interesting note, the Turpin home in Rio Vista sat on land that had mineral rights, so they received royalties for over 10 years from that. That's what I need. You know, like I, I feel like the point of that being made public is that they had an income. He had a good job. They were made, I don't know how much money you make from mineral rights, but I've seen the royalties, like the data that they were you know decent so they had money i know they had a lot of children but they also probably had enough money to support these children yeah he was like a software engineer or some yeah. sort of computer engineer so after rio vista the turpins moved to marietta california they allegedly moved there due to david's job and neighbors in the area say they rarely saw the children there is a record that the oldest turpin son was enrolled at mount san jacinto community college Investigators say Louise would go to the campus with her son, wait outside the classroom, and then immediately escort him home. Insane. Bizarrely, in 2011, the Turpins renewed their vows in Las Vegas. All the kids went along and watched an Elvis impersonator renew their vows. 
There's actually photos online of the services. Um, if you follow this case at all, you know exactly what pictures I'm talking about because it's the ones that are used for almost everything. The kids are all dressed in matching clothes. The girls are in like these plaid pink dresses. All very modest. They've got like white stockings, white shoes. The dresses are way below their knees. Like they look like a very respectable family, I guess, for lack of a better term. I don't know what's going on with his hair always. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say. Bowl cut going on. The father, and this is another thing you'll just, if you follow the case, you know, because this is just how he still looks to this day. Well, I don't know about in prison, but he has this horrible bowl cut, like literally a bowl cut. And of course, the poor sons have to also have bowl cuts. I wonder what the significance of this hairstyle is, why he chose that. Right? Like, I feel like it's not even an easy thing to get because it's so perfectly a bowl cut. And it I don't know. requires so much maintenance because he's got like a long fringe that's just above his eyebrows. Like he would need to maintain that. The bowl cut with effort, like which makes it even worse. I was just going to say she's wearing like a full on wedding dress. She's got like a white or a flower in her hair. Um, they went, they really went all out for this. Yeah. And looking at the photos, you wouldn't think that like, the kids were abused or anything. I mean, the only red flag in hindsight is their arms are all very skinny. And they are all pretty skinny for, they look much younger than they probably are. I don't know how old they are in these photos, but that's kind of what people have said is they just looked younger. I feel like you wouldn't look at any of those photos and say, wow, that's, those kids look unhealthy or, you know, you, you can't, from these photos, you can't tell that. Yeah. Like that. it's not like they're bruised or dirty. They all look washed, dressed nicely. Yeah. No, no major red flags. We read some articles that Louise and David had actually renewed their vows at least three times over the years, 2011, 2013, and 2015, and every time it was in Vegas with an Elvis impersonator. They really enjoyed their West in Vegas. Yeah, and you'll see more of this as it goes on, but it seems the parents, I hate saying narcissistic because I feel like we say that a lot and it's very easy to call people narcissistic, but they really were just in their own fucking bubble. Like, yeah only focused on themselves they just seem i don't know they're weird but we'll we'll talk about more as it goes on but that's just one sign of it so in 2011 the turpins declared bankruptcy we've read that uh, we've read that they actually declared bankruptcy twice over the years and the most recent was in 2011 interesting that that's also a year they um renewed their vows in vegas so i can't imagine taking 13 kids or how many kids they had then, 10 kids or 11 kids to Vegas would be cheap when you're bankrupt. But I don't like, I don't even, I don't even know what to say at this point. Mm. So we found this info about their finances from an article by BBC. It says, according to the newspaper, bankruptcy files show Mr. Turpin earned more than $140,000 in 2011, but expenses for his large family exceeded his wages by more than $1,000 a month. The couple listed about $150,000 in assets, including $87,000 in 401k plans from Northrop Grumman and Lockheed Martin. Louise Turpin's occupation was listed as a homemaker. The couple owed debt between $100,000 and $500,000, according to bankruptcy documents. I believe how they, I don't know how it works there with bankruptcy. and But like the, we know of three properties that I think they owned. They didn't rent these properties. So I wonder how they could still keep buying these houses when they were bankrupt. Yeah. I don't know. Times were simpler back <laughs> not even that long ago, I think. 
So one of their bankruptcy lawyers, Nancy Trahan, spoke to the Washington Post, and she told them that she met with the couple about four or five times in 2011, but hasn't seen them since, and she described them as just very normal. She said, They seemed like very nice people. They spoke often and fondly of their children. The family also visited Disneyland together in 2012. The youngest child was not present on the trip, but the others were. Again, all the photos are online. They're all dressed the same, same kind of weird, cringy vibes. Louise and David seemed really obsessed with Disney. They were kind of like Disney adults in a way, I guess. The vanity plates on the couple's cars were D-Land and DL Forever. I don't know how this came out, but someone said that the D... L Forever was supposed to be David and Louise Forever, which is just as cringy. Uh, but D-Land definitely has to be Disney. I-, I find it interesting, just this is kind of a little, just a thought trail of mine, is that they were so obsessed with Disneyland. Like There's a photo of the two parents. They're both wearing Disney shirts, and I think she's got ears on or something. And it just seems like this is such a contrast to the life they actually provided for their children. Like It's just interesting to me that they were so public with this Disneyland persona, but it was the absolute opposite to what they really were like. Yeah, no magic and happiness in their home. It seems like they just never really thought about their children, not even that they were purposefully neglecting them. I feel like they just didn't even consider them or consider themselves parents. It's almost like kids are just like weird accessories in a way. Almost like they felt obligated to have these children because God told them to have many children or whatever their thing was. Yeah, but they didn't actually want to care for them. No. And again, it's not like no red flags, nothing's screaming. We're abused and chained to our beds. They all look happy enough. It just looks like an awkward family photo, basically. Yeah. In 2014, the family moved to Paris, California, where the rest of the story would play out. They moved to a house at 160 Muir Woods Roads in Paris, around 70 miles southeast of L.A., So we're assuming the house has undergone a lot of work since the Turpin Saga, but online the info says that it is four bedrooms, three bathrooms, 2,388 square feet, and it's on a 7,405 square foot lot. It does also say that it was built in 2013, so it was basically a brand new house. They moved in there 2014, so... Yeah, the photos online, these lots of realtor photos online, looks fine, neat, tidy, looks like a nice house, really. It's weird because I know we've talked about this before. I feel like I could live, we said we feel like we could live in a house where murder happened and it wouldn't really bother us, but I don't think I could live in the Turpin house, even if they redid it all and like cleaned it, but just knowing one, what happened there and the filth that happened there, it's just like, ugh. It does have to the um, like price history. So it says it was sold on the 29th of August 2014 for $351,000. And at the site I'm looking at, there isn't another listing for it being for sale or sold. So maybe the family still own it or the, hopefully the children own it. Yeah, in like some sort of estate or yeah. however that works. I don't know. That's all confusing. Mm. So the Turpins seemed able to continue with their depravity behind closed doors for years. No one really noticed. Um, Neighbors in Paris did occasionally see the kids and said that they were silent unless they were spoken to. They would skip instead of walk, and all of them appeared malnourished and pale. One of Louise's sisters was worried because the couple never let extended family see the children. But after seeing their Facebook photos, she decided that her worries must be unfounded as they all seem happy and healthy enough. 
Elizabeth says she hasn't seen the children in more than a decade. She didn't know what was going on, she says, until she saw the news. Somebody posted the link on my Facebook and said, is this your sicko sister? My initial response was, oh my God, oh my God, and I broke down. I knew my sister was different from us, but I would have never, ever imagined this, ever. Okay, so there have been some questions about why nobody noticed the Turpin children weren't in school, but it seems like they were actually technically homeschooled, even though clearly that wasn't happening. But public records show the house is listed in a California Education Department directory as the location of Sandcastle Day School, with David named as the principal. It was described in official records as a non-religious and co-ed institution with six students enrolled. I feel like this is not the first time where crimes have happened because kids were allegedly homeschooled. Like, it's crazy. No one seems to check up on these homeschools. Yeah, I asked on the Instagram if anyone had any questions or things that we could talk about in the case. And someone, I'll just find it. Someone wrote, how did the school, how didn't the school know? I know they weren't enrolled, but districts usually require parents to submit homeschool documentation quarterly. So I feel like, yeah, this was definitely a dropped ball by someone in terms of their school checks and records. Yeah, and I feel like that happens um, semi-frequently at least. So that brings us to December 2016. Five of the Turpin kids were seen with their parents. The family participated in a community holiday decorating contest and built a nativity scene in their front yard. The group attended the judging of the nativity contest. A neighbor has since spoken about seeing the children and commenting on their Christmas decorations, Kimberly Milligan. She said they actually froze. She apologized and told them there was no need to be afraid. And she said they still didn't say a word. They were like children whose only defense was to be invisible. At 6 a.m. on January 14, 2018, a plan that some of the Turpin children had been working on for two years started to come to light. Two of the daughters, aged 13 and 17, the 17-year-old is Jordan Turpin, who we mentioned earlier, escaped from the home. The younger one, she became frightened and turned back, but Jordan continued on. She had a deactivated cell phone that she found, and she called 911. She spoke to authorities for 20 minutes and detailed the abuse that she and her 12 siblings had endured. There is a 911 call that has been released, so I'll put in a clip of it, and she says... I've never been out. I don't go out much. I can't breathe because of how dirty the house is. We don't take baths. I don't know if we need to go to the doctor. This is 911. Do you have an emergency? Um, I just ran away from home. Do you know what street you're on? Um, no. Uh, I just ran away from home because I live in a family of 15. Okay? Can you hear me? And we have abusing parents. Did you hear that? Okay, how did they abuse you? Okay, they hit us, they throw us across, they like throw us across the room. They pull our hair, they, they yank out our hair. I have two, my two little sisters right now are chained up. Okay, how Did old you are you? I'm 17. What's your name? So I guess I just remember this from an interview. The phone that they found, it's weird because they were allowed to like go online kind of or they snuck to go online. But the phone was an old phone of her brother's that they somehow managed to steal from a drawer that the parents had it in. But 
I remember her mentioning that they would still like be able to go online and talk to people. But I think it was one of those situations where they didn't really understand that they were being abused. I, I guess she, if they've never known any different, it wouldn't. Yeah. Like that, that was just their life. Like they didn't yeah. really know. But she said that she actually heard about the nine being able to still call 911 from a deactivated phone on um, the show Cops because they were allowed to watch TV sometimes. And she said that she knew that she had to like have all her information together because of the kinds of questions that the cops would ask her. And she had to make sure that they were going to believe her. So I thought that was very smart of her. Like you learn that stuff on Cops. <laughs> So she also said that she was kept in the room with her sisters for about 20 hours a day and that she was only allowed to leave the room to eat, use the restroom, and brush her teeth. Um, she said if she broke the rule, she would be disciplined in the form of knocking on the head, pulling of her hair, or being smacked in the face. After she watched a Justin Bieber video on her cell phone, um, her mother choked her. So yeah, they weren't like allowed to go online and stuff, and they hid it from the parents, but I guess... When she got into an argument with one of her siblings, they, like, tattled on her. When the first officer arrived, she showed him photos of the conditions inside the home. The responding officers have said that Jordan looked so emaciated, they estimated her age to be 10 years old. Hi, Jordan. You are looking at the body camera footage from the deputy as he arrives. Hey, what's going on? Okay. I just ran away from home. Okay. And I live in a family of 15. Okay. My two little sisters right now are chained up. They're chained up? Yes. Where are they chained up at? On the bed. Now, mother didn't chain okay. them up just to be mean. Okay. Perfect. They're chained up because they stole mother's food. Uh-huh. But I'm sorry if I talk too much. Okay. I've never talked to anybody out there, so I don't, I, I've never been alone with the person, so this is very hard for me to talk. Okay. How did you, do your parents know you left your house? No, they don't. Do you take any medication? What's medication? Medication? Yeah, what's medication? Do you take pills? Do you take pills? Oh, I or... don't think I've ever taken a pill before. <clears throat> okay. Right, I haven't. Um, but... The girl with the strange vocabulary nervously puts on a little hat, a reminder of one of her sisters who's depending on her. Our parents are abusing. They abuse us. But the reason I called and the reason I managed to get out here, this is one of the most scariest things I've ever done. Uh -huh. I'm terrified. But I called because my two little sisters, they're chained up right now. Do you have pictures of that? Yes, I can show you. I actually didn't have it, and then one of my sisters told me I need to get pictures. You have pictures of your sisters chained up? Yes, but uh, they're, yeah, they're in here. Okay. I, I don't have proof of everything, but I have proof that my sisters are chained up. So, see? She doesn't seem to know the word bruised. Okay, you can look at that. See, those are the places that make it known that. And see how dirty she is? We are so filthy. We... We, we don't take baths. We don't. How did your sisters get like this? Okay. Your parents yeah, chained them up? Yes, because they stole food. Okay. But they stole it because they were hungry. Who took this picture? I did. I took those pictures. <laughs> okay. You make sure to save these, okay? Okay, I will. Don't get rid of those. I will. I won't. 
Police acted quickly, and the Riverside County Sheriff's Office raided the home. When they showed up, Louise seemed confused and perplexed about why they were there. Um, if the audio is okay on the police body cam footage, I'll put in some clips from it, but it's always kind of hit or miss with those. As sheriff's deputies move through a door into a horrifying landscape, the windows are closed. The room is swelteringly hot, magnifying the stench of excrement, decaying garbage, mounds of mothers molding food, every sofa counter floor covered in layers of trash, and unopened toys. Hi, kids. Hello, it's okay. Louise Turpin quickly tries to follow the deputies. All right, stay there for me for now. An officer distracts David Turpin with topic after topic. Okay, well, what's your name, sir? David. David. Where are you guys had, planning on moving to? No, right my, my job is moving. Oh, okay. Louise Turpin is directed to go back to the front door. Why don't you stay over here with my partner, okay? <laughs> A pale, emaciated child moves through the living room, her clothes dirty, so was her hair. Oh, okay. What do you do for work? I'm, a, I'm an engineer. Oh, engineer. With 35 years and 10. <coughs> Louise Turpin nervously probes again. You got a call? Yeah, we got a call from, I'm not sure if it was the young girl that left or if it was a neighbor that saw her walking around the street. So we'll get to the bottom of it. As soon as we make sure everybody's okay, then we'll, decide, we'll, we'll figure out if maybe she was one of your kids that wandered away. How many kids do you have? 13. 13 total? Yeah. Woo! You guys are busy. Yeah. Police also said that Louise smirked and spat twice down at the floor. When they entered the property, police found the house reeking of human excrement, decaying garbage, dead pets, and moldy food with every surface covered in trash. The deputy looks in the first door and discovers a crushing scene. Those two young girls from their sister's photos. One is on a bed, the other a mattress on the floor. They are limp, frail, eerily quiet, caked in dirt. Their arms are bruised, but where are the chains? Hi, sweetheart. Hi, girls. Can I see your wrist? Yeah. Which one? Okay. Hi, how old are you? Next, the deputy heads to the bedroom next door. Two filthy bunk beds, but no child is chained. He pleads with the children. Can they tell him where are those chains? Okay. Thank you. We're here to help you. Okay? Just work with my guys. We will help you guys. Okay? Police Chief Captain Greg Fellows told a news conference on Tuesday that three of the children were found shackled inside the home during the raid. One of the children appeared to have been shackled to a bed for weeks. And I think they tried the parents. Sorry, I'm being annoying, but I just remember this stuff. I think I know um, what you're going to say, that they, they, they had they just to hide them. unshackled the kids. Yeah, like it says that there was, what I've read is there was three kids shackled, but when they actually got there, only one of the children was still shackled. They'd kind of tried to untie the other ones and, yeah, hide them Yeah, all. so they like quickly tried to like unshackle them and like get them looking normal. But then one of the kids was still chained to the bed and they tried to cover, because there was so much just crap in the house and garbage. And they tried to cover the door to this room with boxes piled up really high so that police wouldn't go in the room or maybe wouldn't even notice the room. But one of the cops noticed and was like, oh, is there a room back here? And they moved the boxes and went in the room and found one of the, I think one of the boys literally chained to his bed. Back at the front doorway, the deputy who has been talking to the parents notices something. 
almost obscured by the six-foot-one-inch David Turpin and the pile of boxes to his right. Another bedroom back here. Yeah. You got another couple kiddos asleep there. Yeah. Sarge, you got another room in the front right here with two kiddos in the bed. Over here. Deputies move the parents to the living room. And when the officers walk inside the bedroom behind those boxes, they see three remaining children, including a boy shackled to his bed. Thick chains on his wrist. Another set of thick chains on his ankle. He has been this way for weeks. A deputy gently asks his name and starts looking for the keys to unlock him. Back in the bedroom down the hall, where the two girls from Jordan's photos sit quietly, the deputy is directed to go to the closet, and there on the floor, he finds the chains. Okay. I found the missing link. Sure. All right, let's just uh, go ahead and detain the uh, yeah. parents. And the body cam footage is really interesting. We'll put it in the blog, but they're even, like, asking... They can't unchain the kid, obviously. They there's they don't know where the key is. And they're asking the little kids, like, where where's the key? Like, where does your mom keep the key? And they're like, Oh, in in the um bedstand drawer. And they're like asking they end up asking the parents, like, where's the key? And they just act so oblivious, like they have no idea what's going on. It's so strange. But anyways, yes. they, they get the key and unlock the kid, obviously. It goes to kind of what you were saying about them being in this own little bubble. And even when the mother, you know, was incredulous about why the police were there, like, I don't know, it just is they weren't, they were delusional, it seems, too. Yeah, it's weird. It's like, not that they didn't think that they were doing anything wrong, because they, they obviously did, because they were hiding it from the police. But it's like they really just didn't seem to realize that this isn't how you take care of children i don't know they're very i don't even have the word for it but it's like when you wave your hand in front of someone's face because like they're not all there that's the vibe i get from them just strange david and louise turpin are in handcuffs go ahead and come on out this way i'm gonna just walk into my car yep and walked out of the house put her in a different car please as the parents head toward police cars Inside, a problem. Deputies can't find the key to unlock the boy still chained to his bed. Now, let me ask you. <coughs> yes. Quickly, are there keys to the little locks? They're, yes. Okay, where are they? Um, my son and daughter can get them. Okay, That's so in the, house. the ones that are in the house, they know where they are? Yes. Okay. Is that what this is about? Well, that's part of it, yeah, definitely. So, Captain Fellow said... If you can imagine being 17 years old and appearing to be a 10-year-old being chained to a bed and being malnourished and injuries associated with that, I would call that torture. The children were found filthy and bruised with dirt caked to their bodies. All the children were so malnourished that police thought they were all under, under the age of 18, but seven of the kids were actually over the age of 18. So at 9 p.m. that night, David and Louise were arrested on suspicion of child abuse and torture. I've seen different bail amounts. One said that it was $9 million each and another one said it was $12 million. Either way, it was a lot of money. Um, the six youngest children were transported to the Riverside University Medical Center in the Merino Valley and the seven adult kids were taken to the Corona Regional Medical Center. A few days later, on January 18, 2018, the couple pleaded not guilty 
Um, the Riverside County District Attorney Mike Hestron held a news conference and he said that the children were taunted with food, starved to the point that their growth was stunted, beaten, choked and chained up. And David was also accused of sexual abuse. So the brief overview, uh, I'm providing a brief over overview to you of the facts uh, in the hope that anyone with additional information about these defendants about these victims, about these crimes, will come forward and, and talk to the district attorney's office. This, these individuals, first what I want to tell you is these individuals uh, sleep all day and are up all night. The, the, all 13 of the victims, uh, including and including the defendants, typically go to sleep around 4 or 5 in the morning, uh, sleep all day, and then be up all through the night. The victims report that as a punishment, starting many years ago, they began to be tied up. First with ropes. One victim at one point was tied up and hog-tied. And then when that victim was able to escape the, the ropes, uh, these defendants eventually began using chains and padlocks to chain up the victims to their beds. These, as I said, these were, were a form of punishment meted out on these children and these adults. These punishments would last for weeks or even months at a time. The evidence is that three victims were chained up at the time the police first knocked on the door at the home in Paris. The defendants were able to get two of the victims unchained before the police actually entered. An 11 and 14-year-old were unchained as the police stood at the door, while a 22-year-old remained chained to a bed when the police entered the home. Circumstantial evidence in the house suggests that the victims were often not released from their chains to go to the, to the bathroom. The 17-year-old victim that escaped had been working on a plan with her siblings to escape this abuse for more than two years. So as police and, you know, investigators began to interview the children, more and more information came out about the horrific conditions that they'd been subjected to. For years, their parents had imprisoned, beaten and strangled the kids and they allowed them to eat just once per day and shower once a year. So when washing their hands, if the children washed above their wrists, they would be accused of playing in the water and would be chained up. The older children appeared much younger because of malnourishment. The 29-year-old weighed just 82 pounds, which was 37 kilos. There was an obvious, obvious lack of education with the children. Some of the kids did not know what medicine was or what a police officer was, so there would clearly really been no homeschooling going on about how they didn't like know a lot of words or vocabulary when the officer came after the 911 call met Jordan in the street he was you know asking her basic questions like are you injured and she was like i don't know what injured is and he was like are are you hurt like do you are, are you in pain and she was like no and then he was like do does anyone take medication in the house do you take medication and she was like what's medication so it's like they just didn't know a lot of basic words it's crazy yeah, it's sad. So police said that the case was considered, quote, extraordinary for numerous reasons, 
including the abuse was inflicted on multiple children by both parents and also because of the calculated and systematic nature of the abuse and torture. So the kids were obviously starving and they told police that a number of times their parents had purchased food like apple and pumpkin pie and they'd just left them out on the dining table and the kids were allowed to look at the food but they were never allowed to eat it. And I've read that they would just let the food go moldy and never throw it away. The parents also purchased many toys that the children were never allowed to open and play with. I've seen one of the police actually comment on it and said basically there was just packages and packages of unopened toys just taunting these kids. None of the children had ever been to a dentist. One of the Turpin daughters, who was 11 at the time of the arrest, said that Louise would often punch them with a closed fist and hit her with an open hand. The Riverside County Deputy Sheriff Daniel Brown said that the girl said sometimes her mother pulled her hair so forcefully it would lift her off the ground. The girl said that she was always hungry and that the kids were fed bologna sandwiches while the parents ate Jersey Mike's pizza and fries. And that 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 same child also said Louise would buy apple juice, but the kids weren't allowed to drink it. The 11-year-old child was in the worst shape of all the kids. She had a body weight percentile of 0.01 and her mid-arm circumference was equal to that of a four and a half month old baby. The doctor said she had psychosocial dwarfism, stunted growth, and that was due to living in an environment that is abusive and neglected. The 15-year-old boy also had difficulty walking. He had a vitamin D deficiency and visible scoliosis. He told the doctor that he wanted to kill animals and that he could predict the future. Jordan, who called 911 and she was 17, was said to have weighed 97 pounds and she had a BMI of 2.2 when she was examined by doctors. Um, One of the children also spoke about David's sexual abuse. She said her father pulled her pants down grabbed her and put her on his lap. She tried to push him away and she pulled her pants up. He also tried to force kisses on the mouth and she told police that this happened around 10 times. The girl said that her father told her not to tell anyone. The family's schedule was that basically they would all go to sleep at around 4am every day. They would sleep all day and be up all night. I'm not entirely sure how this worked with David's job, um, what was going on there, but I think that I've read they did this basically so that the neighbours would never see them and, you know, just basically to keep themselves hidden. Mm -hmm. Thankfully and kind of randomly, the kids were allowed to write in journals and police are said to have seized hundreds of journals from the home. So it's kind of weird that they allowed their kids some internet access and some freedom because I'm sure in the journals they wrote about their lives and things that were happening, which is essentially evidence. So it's interesting that they allowed that to happen but was so strict and abusive with everything else yeah i don't know if they it's that they they let them watch tv sometimes i don't know if they were allowed to be online or if they just snuck and went online like jordan made used to make like youtube videos of herself singing but i don't know if their parents like they didn't know she was doing that i don't know if they allowed them to but i just remembered jordan was saying actually like how we were saying they kind of didn't realize that they were being abused because that was all they ever knew she started to realize because she started chatting with someone online and he said something about how her vi- YouTube videos were always like in the dark and at night. And he was like, why are you always up so later at night? And then she was telling him about how like they're only up from the hours that you just said. And she started telling this person more about her life. And the person was like, that's not normal. Yeah, I just can't even imagine how strange it would have been just to think that this is what your life is and then to find out that no, it shouldn't be like that. Yeah, it's so sad and it's just awful. 
So ABC spoke to David's parents following the arrests. Their names are James and Betty Turpin. They live in West Virginia. And they said they were surprised and shocked by the allegation. They said they hadn't seen David and Louise for several years and that they basically reiterated that they were religious and kept having children because, quote, God called on them. The grandparents said that the children are homeschooled. They were made to memorize long scriptures in the Bible, and some of the children have apparently tried to memorize the entire Bible, according to the grandparents. Necessary life skills. Yeah. So back to the charges that the Turpins faced. They were both charged with 12 counts of torture, 12 counts of false imprisonment, 7 counts of abuse of a dependent adult, and 6 counts of child abuse. I don't actually know why that's why there's only 12 when there's 13 kids, but... Maybe, I don't know. It's interesting to me, but anyway. David received an additional charge of a lewd act on a child under 14. He was also charged with perjury in relation to affidavits that he filed with the California Department of Education, in which he said that his children were being educated in the, you know, the private homeschool, which was clearly not the case. So soon after the arrests, more information about David and Louise started to come out. It seemed that despite their apparently devout religious beliefs, they were actually wannabe swingers, which is really creepy. Um, Louise's sister, (laughs) Megan, spoke to NBC and said that between 2008 and 2010, David and Louise met a man online and arranged for Louise to go to a hotel room in Huntsville, Alabama, to have sex with him. Kind of reminds me a little bit of David and Christy Evans that we did an episode on too where they... Oh, yeah, and we never really found out any more No, well, I keep looking. There's never, ever any updates on that case. It was meant to be in July last year and there still hasn't been. So, Hmm. yeah, shades of that. Um, what makes it even worse? Uh, sorry, the, the sister said, "What makes it even worse and even weirder is that one year exactly to the date of the anniversary that she did that, she called me and thought it was funny that David was taking her back to the exact same hotel room, the exact same bed that she slept with this man in, so David could sleep with her in the same bed." The sister Megan also said she'd never smoked a cigarette or drank a drink of alcohol or anything. And close to her 40th birthday or around that time, she called me and she thought it was cool that, you know, they had quit going to church and they didn't trust the church anymore. They were experimenting with different religions. Louise also told Megan that now some of the kids were old enough to take care of the younger ones. She was free to sow the wild oats that she had missed out on by having a family at a young age. Megan said they had called me the first time they ever went to a bar. She called me the very first night she was drunk. She was very giggly. In that same interview, Megan also broke down in tears and she spoke about how she and Louise had endured sexual abuse as they were growing up. She said it was a very dark family secret that he did this. A very, very close family member that we should have loved and trusted. Abused my mother and sexually abused my mother and then me and Louise, Elizabeth and a few of the cousins in our family. So... I'm not shocked that there was some type of abuse for Louise because generally abuse perpetrates abuse, you know, it just keeps going and going. Yeah, and I think it's since come out, it was in, there's a book, I'll have to look up the name, but it came out that I think it was the grandfather, like Louise's grandfather, that basically sexually abused all of them, like sexually abused Louise's mother and then... It was said that Louise's mother kind of just turned a blind eye to blind eye to it and kind of let the grandfather molest or sexually abuse Louise and the siblings. And there was also I don't know how true this is, but it was also said that the grandfather would give Louise's mother money to be left alone with the kids to sexually abuse them. So obviously that's like 
a horrible, really messed up situation. And it adds, not that it's an excuse, but it adds some insight why Louise, as to why Louise is the way she is. It kind of seems like Louise never really grew up mentally and is still stuck in a childhood phase mentally because maybe she never really got to have one. Like all the toys you mentioned before, like Louise bought those for herself. Like they're Louise's toys that just stay in the box and sit in the house. And it was said, you know, they eat all the fast food. They buy tons of cakes and candies and the kids weren't allowed to touch any of it because it was all like Louise's. So I think that gives some context to that behavior. Yeah, it, it doesn't make it doesn't it explains it it doesn't make it right but yeah it explains a lot of it i think yeah so on february 22nd 2019 david and louise changed their pleas and they both pled guilty to the charges against them they are both expected to serve an indeterminate sentence of 25 years to life in prison making uh, meaning that they will spend the rest of their lives in prison unless they're granted parole i have read that basically they never ever expected to be paroled based on the depravity of this case so because 25 years, you're like, oh, they, maybe they all get out, but it sounds like they will likely never, ever be released. Yeah. David was originally sent to the Mule Creek State Prison before being sent to the California State Prison in Corcoran, and Louise is in the Central California Women's Facility. So the next bit of the story is a bit out of, a bit out of chronological order, but I felt it was kind of important to keep it together because it's a lot of information. After the parents were arrested, all of the Turpin children spent weeks in the hospital. Once they'd recovered from their physical injuries, the six minor children were split between two foster homes. Doctors said that the children were treated for malnutrition, heart damage due to lack of nutrients, cognitive impairments, and neuropathy. In early 2020, the Riverside County Deputy District Attorney said that some of the children were living independently, living in their own apartments and have jobs and are going to school. Some volunteer in the community, they go to church, and one had graduated from college. There was an investigation by ABC, um, the news show 2020, um, and that was in November 2021, and it was called The Escape from a House of Horror, and it was about the Turpin children. It was also kind of highlighting how the children have been neglected by Riverside County Social Services, and basically that some of them were homeless and that none of them had access to the hundreds of thousands of dollars that had been donated to them. The money had been placed in a trust controlled by a court-appointed public guardian, and Joshua Turpin said that he couldn't access the funds to even purchase a bicycle to use. Jordan spoke to Diane Sawyer in the interview, and she said that she was basically released without warning from a foster home. She had no life skills, no plans for housing, or even knowledge about how to get food and health care. And according to the report by 2020, Riverside County hired a private law firm to investigate allegations of abuse by social services. So that seems horrific enough. But what happened to some of the children even after they were freed from their parents is just horrendous. It's five of the children were placed in a foster home with a pedophile who apparently molested two of them. So the foster father is a man named Marcelino Oldwin. He's 63, and he's now been charged with seven counts of committing a lewd act on a child and six counts of torture. His wife is named Rose, and their daughter is called Lanice. They have also been charged with multiple child abuse charges, one of witnessing intimidation and another one of fraud. Marcelino allegedly targeted two of the girls, one who was aged under 14 for, quote, sexual touching on their buttocks and upper thighs more than 50 times. 
He also told them they were sexy and he recommended they not wear undershirts. He told them they had beautiful skin and he forcibly kissed them. He also pulled a minor on top of him. Um, A lot of this is from the affidavit and the investigator in the case is a man named Thomas Salisbury. The Olguin family allegedly forced the children to take part in confession circle talk where they were made to admit to their past sibling abuses, which their biological parents forced them to do. These confession circles allegedly began soon after the children arrived in the foster home, despite the foster parents knowing that they'd suffered at the hands of their parents. One of the male Turpin children was singled out for extra abuse and was repeatedly imprisoned in his bedroom, cussed at and demeaned and separated from his sisters, and that the foster family also intentionally ruined his media devices. All five were also threatened with not seeing their older siblings ever again if they didn't comply with the family's wishes. The family had a total of nine foster children. They allegedly gave a five-year-old girl, who is not one of the Turpins, sleeping pills, then forced her to stand, ringing a bell in her ear and sprayed water in her face so that she could not fall asleep. The investigator said that they all repeated the phrase, you don't let us sleep, we're not letting you sleep. The little girl collapsed and fell on a hard tile floor. They also locked the girl, who was identified in the affidavit as victim one, in her room for nine hours a day and failed to change her diaper. They frightened her by telling her that there were spiders in the bathroom, and then they held her in a dark, noisy, scary bathroom, which contained a large decorative spider at one point, despite her crying and screaming to be let out. They also beat victim one with sandals. They choked her through her and knocked her front tooth out by throwing her down several steps. Both Marcelino and Rosa were certified foster carers and they were approved to taking the Turpin children by the Riverside County Children's Services Division. They lived in Paris, which was the same town where the Turpins lived with you know, their family before the arrests. Another kind of accusation of, of abuse was against the um, Olguin's daughter, Lenice. It said that she scratched the top of one girl's hand and when she was holding a metal coin, moved her hand close to an electrical outlet saying, you want to get shocked? The Olguins also encouraged two of their foster children to fight each other. Um, they called each other a filthy asshole and a motherfucker, while another was told she would end up as a white piece of shit on the curb like her biological mother. A fucking sick, like. <sighs> I just can't believe it's it's just horrible that these children endured all this for 20 years or, you know, 15 years, and then they've now been put in a home that is equally as horrific. Like you always hear people saying how like the foster care system is bad and things like that. But this is another thing. We've heard so many stories where there's just these horrifyingly abusive foster families where it's like, how do these people get approved? Like, I get that it's easy to fake that you're a nice person, but just like, Jesus Christ, what is happening? You would think surely there should have been more regular checks and, you know, I don't even know. I don't know what the answer is, but there was a lot of fail here. It's also insane because the Turpin case was so massive that and they fell through the cracks like it makes you just wonder about like how many other poor kids there are out there going through this abuse that are not high profile um what's even more sad is i remember in the interview that jordan did is when they were playing their escape plan for two years one of the big reasons why they didn't want to do it was because they were scared of being separated and being put in different foster families and they wanted to stay together and because they were afraid of being put in like a worse situation, which maybe it might not be worse, I don't know, but it's definitely comparable to the situation they were in. And I guess for them it would have also been fear of the unknown, like they would have no idea what would happen to them if they did leave the house. Yeah. 
And then if they spoke out against this foster family who say they wouldn't be put with an even worse one, like, so Mm. fucking awful. So the family are also accused of physically abusing the same two children. Rosa is said to have dragged one of them by her hair, which resulted in her hair being pulled out. The affidavit for this case does mention the abuse previously suffered by the Turpin children. It said, regarding mental abuses to victims three to seven, the Olguins were told and knew of the egregious lifelong severe abuses their biological parents inflicted on the victims before agreeing to foster them. On April 1, Marcelino, Rose and Lennis pleaded not guilty to all the charges against them. They are all out of custody for now and they're all due to appear in court again on June 6. So we'll have to give you an update when that happens. And just as a bit of a kind of a summary of all the charges, so Marcelino is charged with four counts of Ludax on a minor aged 14 or 15, three counts of Ludax on a minor younger than 14, false imprisonment and willful child cruelty. Lennis is charged with false imprisonment, willful child cruelty and dissuading a witness. Rose, willful child cruelty, dissuading a witness. Um, And that's all according to the criminal complaint, which was filed in the Superior Court in Riverside. That is basically it up to date as of March 2022 for the Turpin case. It seems like there will still be some updates in terms of the foster family, which we will keep you posted with as they do come out. I asked on our social media if anyone had any thoughts or questions or anything they wanted to share about this case. One of our members said that she went to med school with a guy who was in the second or third grade with with the oldest Turpin, and this is kind of what we spoke about um, earlier too. He said he wrote a she said he wrote a viral post on Facebook about how she always came to school smelling like poop, and everyone made fun of her. From reading the stories, that was her last year in school. The point of his post was to teach your kids to be kind to others because we don't know what they're going through, those poor kids. I think we've actually seen that post before. Have you? The viral um, one? Maybe I'll find it yeah. the blog. Yeah, I definitely, I think when, probably when the 2020 episode came out and it was back in the news again, I think it was on Reddit or something. So I'll track it down. But yeah, it was, uh, it sounds weird to say like it was a nice post, but it was just a good reminder of you never know what someone's going through. and especially. As kids, kids are not generally the most empathetic and kids bully each other a lot. So just a good reminder that you never know what is happening in someone's else in someone else's life or what's going on at their home. So a lot of the other questions were basically around why can't the kids access the money raised for them? You would hope now that there's been this investigation that hopefully the money will soon be more available to them to use. They talked about it. On 2020, I don't remember the exact reason, but for some reason, it's just like locked in this trust. Like, I don't know if it's they have to be a certain age or if it's just they had to go through certain people and everyone was too lazy to actually, you know, access the money for them. But it was being investigated because it was money that they got through. Like, a lot of people donated money once the story came out and that was all put into a trust. But yeah, just crazy that they haven't been able to access it and they've been living in shitty unsafe conditions and a lot of the other comments and kind of questions were about the li- along the lines of how did nobody know what was going on how did they keep this hidden i think we've touched on that a little bit in terms of their schedule you know they kept opposite schedules to most people they obviously didn't go to school but i feel like that was also a failure by whoever you know the california school district or whatever they didn't investigate their homeschooling allegations there's also, if I could find a clip of it, I just thought of this too. The parents wrote some lame ass apology letters that they read in court. And it's just so eye roll because, you know, they're apologizing 
and saying that they didn't mean to like hurt their kids. And it's like, what do you mean you didn't mean to hurt them? <laughs> like, look at what you did to them. I am so proud of each and every one of my children. I miss all of my children and I will be praying for them. Along with the opportunity to have contact with him again. I'm sorry for everything I've done to hurt my children. I love my children so much. I'm blessed to be the mother of each one of them. I only want the best for them. Their happiness is very important to me. They're very smart, amazing individuals. I hope they all I hope they get all the education they need to make their dreams come true. They deserve only the best in life. I don't want any of them to be sad or depressed because of all of this. I want them to know that mom and dad are going to be okay. Another sad thing. I just keep remembering all these <laughs> sad little things. One of the girls in court, I don't remember which girl, one of the older ones, she said to the judge, like she asked the judge to be lenient on them because she said that her parents did the best they could and didn't know what they were doing was wrong. So it just goes to show like more of the abuse, like brainwashing kind of that she was trying to like help her parents who treated her terribly her whole life. Bit of Stockholm syndrome, you know, where they kind of I know they weren't kidnapped yeah. as such, but they were held captive. Yeah. Um, one other in- interesting comment is what's up with the dad's hair? <laughs> oh, that is very strange. But one, I think the last comment that we'll finish on is Jordan Turpin is so inspiring. So she, as we said, is really vocal. I'll pop some of her videos up on the blog. She's um, She posts on TikTok a lot. Yeah, she seems to be doing great things considering how horrendous her life was until she was 17. So yeah, definitely check out all her social media. I'll link it on the blog. She's um, very vocal. Yeah, get her some views. Yeah, exactly. Not that she she needs us to get her views, but, you know, it's nice to do. If you haven't, go check them out. So I think that's it for the Turpin family case, probably one of the most horrendous cases of child abuse that I can recall hearing about. And it's like modern day. Like literally the last few years. It wasn't even 20 years ago. It was a few years ago. It's crazy. So do we want to talk about Naomi? I don't know if I'm really surprised or not, but there have been a few small, smallish updates in the Naomi case. The case does seem to have slowed right down. Um, if you did miss the last episode, it was about Naomi Irion, who was an 18-year-old woman who was abducted from a Walmart in Fernley, Nevada and murdered in March this year. So this case is very current. It's you know We went through the episode as things kind of happened in real time. Um, The man who is accused of abducting and murdering her is named Troy Driver. He was due to appear in court on April 5, but that's been pushed back to May 10. Um, On April 1, though, before that, he was formally charged with open murder, burglary, and destruction of property. Before that, I think he'd been charged with kidnapping and nothing actually in regards to her death. What's open murder? Do you know what that means? So I think open murder in Nevada is basically just their term for murder. It says, in Nevada, most charges involve non-accidental killing of one human being by another are charged as open murder. It says open murder can it can include first-degree murder, second-degree murder, and if the facts permit, voluntary manslaughter and involuntary manslaughter. When someone is charged with open murder, the jury will ultimately decide what level of homicide the defendant is responsible for. So I guess just like murder in general. Yeah, and I guess it just leaves it open. It's probably a good charge to have because I know sometimes you can't prove first-degree murder or something like that. This way it leaves it open to being any 
type of burner. Mm-hmm. Um, police did issue a press release on April 5 which in which they confirmed Naomi's cause of death. It says the official cause of death in the Naomi Erion homicide is gunshot wounds to the head and chest. The investigation is still ongoing and information that can be released is limited. There was a criminal complaint that was also filed. And in the last episode, we spoke about how Naomi's phone had never been found. And we learned that Troy probably destroyed or concealed her phone in various Nevada counties. And he's also accused of getting rid of the tires on his truck in an effort to destroy evidence of the kidnapping and murder. So we still haven't learned anything additional in terms of if he was known to Naomi or if this was totally random. Nothing like that has been made public yet. Um yeah, I really thought by this time that there'd be more information. They seem to be holding it very close to their chest. I don't know um, why or what will come out as the trial goes on or if they even know yet. Maybe they are still investigating. But, yeah, I would have thought that there would be some more too. Who knows at this rate? Um doesn't seem like they're releasing too much information. I really want to know how he chose her, if they knew each other, had ever interacted before at all, or if this was just random or if he knew that she you know generally parked there in the morning and just plotted from there i have read a few because we've made some social media posts for naomi's case and a few people are saying that they suspect he was familiar with her being in that area at that time like he maybe he sat there and watched her do it for a few days and knew she was going to be there um that'd be my guess i think yeah i think so too i mean even at my walmart there's always people just like lingering around outside I guess that's it. That's it for this episode, yep. Alright, so I don't feel like doing an outro so you guys know it already. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I should just record the same thing and play yeah, it every like, time. like the disclaimer. <laughs> Some podcasts that I listen to, well, one podcast I listen to does that, but you know, sometimes I add in some flair, so. <laughs> so as always, everything we talked about in this episode will be on the blog at truecrimesocietyblog.com. A few of you have messaged us and said how you really like that. that While you're listening, you could just go on the blog and look at the pictures or videos or whatever we're talking about. So it's nice to get messages like that because, you know, it's not like we're doing it all in vain. It's Mm. nice to know it's actually used. So everything will be on there, like the body cam footage I was talking about, any pictures, links, whatever. You can check out our forum at truecrimesociety.com. We always say It's a great place to go and at least read if you're too nervous to make an account. You don't have to be, though, because everyone on there is very nice. But it's a good place to go because, like we were saying last time, everyone who's there wants to be there and, like, one other way to make an account to be there to talk about crime. So it's not like Facebook where you just get someone clutching their pearls every five seconds. And I also Um, think one kind of benefit to it is that it's all in one place. So you can put Facebook posts, tweets, everything. Like you don't need to go to all the different platforms. It's all there. Yeah. Um, Our Instagram, that's probably where we put out the little updates and any polls or how Olivia was saying in this episode, you know, we ask people questions. We do all that in our stories. So that's probably the quickest place to get updates from us. And that's True Crime Society on Instagram. You can also follow our personal accounts. I am trying to be a better influencer, but I get scared. (laughs) So (laughs) if you want to follow us, uh, mine is StephSum underscore and Olivia's is TCS Olivia. They're both tagged in the True Crime Society bio. So you can just shoot over there, follow True Crime Society, and then easily follow each of us and 
um, I'll get better at posting things about my life if anyone cares <laughs> mine's a lot of dog content <laughs> mine's a lot of inspirational quotes and like cute little animal cartoons but i'm building up the confidence <laughs> if you haven't left us a review or a rating do all that obviously subscribe it's really helpful to us when you subscribe even though it seems silly because you're like i know the episode comes out on thursdays but this one came out early too so sometimes i might surprise you but anyways it really helps out if you subscribe and it really helps out if you check out our sponsors from this episode they'll all be linked and all the codes and everything will be in the episode description on whatever platform you're listening to this on make sure you, yeah make sure you use the codes because we do offer some really good discounts from our podcast sponsors yeah it helps us out when you use the codes oh and something that's really important, I know I know, I ask a lot of you guys, but <laughs> if you could share it on your Instagram stories, Facebook, whatever, tell a friend, tell a stranger on the street, tell like another drunk person in the bathroom oh, yeah, about the podcast. The lady at the yeah. grocery store. I've seen a few that's along the, over the years. I'm like, oh, I heard about it from someone in the grocery store. <laughs> if you need to start a conversation with another girl, you want to make some friends, most girls like are interested in true crime. So it's a great conversation starter. Great way to make friends. Yeah. But yeah, always share the podcast. Um, help us out. Grow our audience so we can do this forever. Some people want us to do this twice a week. And, you know, if you guys keep sharing, maybe one day we'll be able to. We can dream. <laughs> anyways, that is all for this episode. Thank you guys for listening. EXO, we'll chat with you next time. Peace out. Yeah. <laughs>